100th episode of The Measure of a Fan, a Star Trek podcast in which three nerds have now watched 100 episodes of Star Trek, one of them enduring it all 100 times for the very first time. <laughs> My name is PJ Montgomery and I am joined as ever by Matt Troy. Hello. And our resident Trek first timer, Elliot Red. Hey everybody. 100 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's shows that I've watched where I've not made it to their 100th episode, and now we're on our 100th episode. It feels kind of crazy to me. There are shows with a lot more listeners than we get that don't reach 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but persistent is one thing that we certainly are. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> so we have some things to discuss. Uh, namely, in our messenger chat earlier in the week, Elliot informed me and Matt that one scuba do is canonically an alien scooby-doo is an alien apparently elliot yeah elaborate um so i, I what the video came out this week i don't know if you guys probably don't don't know much about it but uh there's a channel called uh death battle and it just pits pop culture characters against each other and then they do silly amounts of research into who would actually win if they were pit against each other and this week it was scooby-doo versus courage the cowardly dog it was a really good matchup. My money's on Scooby Doo. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if I should spoil it right now. It's kind of intense, so I probably <laughs> won't. I won't spoil it for people. Um, what the outcome is, however, I will say that in the silly amount of research they did in to find out what kinds of abilities and history uh, Scooby Doo has, found out they just threw it in at the very end that he is an alien because it doesn't matter to how he fights or anything. Apparently, um, it's just canon that once he is an alien so i looked into it because i was very curious and it turns out that's not quite correct he's more of an inter interdimensional being he is a part of uh, a descendant of the anunnaki race which are creatures living in another dimension every few thousand years during an event called nibiru the barrier between their world and earth grow weak allowing them to visit earth some of them are good others are evil it's revealed that there are sarcophaguses in crystal coves containing evil ones. They have no physical forms, and so they inhabit various animals' bodies, thus being responsible for mythological figures like Egyptian gods, China's monkey king. And it's revealed that the animals which can talk are descendants of them, and Scooby-Doo is one of them. So is this in an episode of Scooby-Doo? Uh, I assume probably one of the like film specials, most likely. I remember... Scrappy being an alien, right? No, Scrappy was just a prick. Okay. I uh, I doubt the canonicity of this. Um, it's also in season two of Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated, apparently. 
Uh, but there are, again, like with many things, there are so many different versions of Scooby-Doo that don't actually fit together anyway. It was part of a TV series by the looks of it, and it showed up in uh, several different episodes. I mean, ironically, this is a good a place as any to begin talking about discovery, because this is the kind of conversation that that we're going to be having to have today about the nature of uh, Star Trek and what Star Trek is and how it looks. Um, so yeah, I, I love that Scooby Doo has been thrown in here as a, <laughs> as a as an introduction point, and I will we'll we'll come back to this. I'm sure. If you can't relate things back to Scooby Doo being an interdimensional being, what can you relate back to? Right. <laughs> what was the name of that podcast again? Uh, it's uh, Death Battle. It's a YouTube YouTube series. Oh, I think right. I've heard of it, but I haven't, I haven't watched any of them. I mean, I used to have a podcast with an almost identical pro- uh, premise uh, called mm. We Make Things Fight. It still exists out there if you want to listen to it. It's me and my co-host Drew Davis fighting various things against each other from Jason Voorhees and um, uh, Michael Myers to Bob Ross and Tony Hart. So yeah. Well, don't worry, you haven't stolen their idea because they do full-on animations of who would win in the fight and stuff. Yeah, Matt and Drew aren't that talented. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They can make videos, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, shall we look at our 100th episode of Star Trek? Sure. Let's. It's just coincidence it's worked out this way, but I think it's actually quite a nice fit. It uh, feels more momentous this way. Yeah. Yeah, for our 100th episode, we are looking at episode one of the show that brought Star Trek back to TV after 13 years, Star Trek Discovery. The episode is called The Vulcan Hello, which in my opinion might be the weakest episode title of any of the Star Trek pilots. Yeah, as I, as I was going through it, they were saying lots of phrases, and I was thinking that could have been a good title for this episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but The Vulcan Hello, yeah. Uh, it was a story by Brian Fuller and Alex Kurtzman, a teleplay by Brian Fuller and Akiva Goldsman. It was directed by David Semmel, and it first aired on the 24th of September, 2017. And we open with a like shot of some space and a dude speaking very slowly. And then we get like the dude's eye, and it pulls out real slowly. Elliot, how long did it take you to realize these were Klingons? first like 15 seconds was it when they said the word Klingon or did you tweak straight away that this was just what Klingons um, I think because it zooms out from the eyes yeah um, I think as soon as it got to being able to see like just over half of the face I was like okay it's probably meant to be a Klingon yeah um, and it sounded very Klingony language that he was speaking already so it was either going to be a Klingon or Urukai, right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so I hate these Klingons I just, I hate them. And they they just don't look or feel like Klingons to me at all. I think they're, they're obviously speaking the official Klingon language, but they also speak it so slowly and ponderously. Klingon should be barked and like shouted quickly. And these guys are all, we are speaking Klingon. <laughs> I, I've got like a couple of, like, I don't, necessarily hate the Klingon design. I hate their clothes. I think that mm. they look like Sir Francis Drake or something. They look like Elizabethans. Like 
tittering around with like their big ruffs on. They kind of look weird. I don't necessarily hate the face design. Um, they went a bit far, and it also yeah. kind of looks a little bit too much like the Remans and like other Star Trek races. Yeah, take, taking away their hair, making them bald with these massive bits at the back of their heads. Yeah. And I think I wouldn't mind so much, and having said last episode that I don't get bogged down by the minutiae of continuity, this one did annoy me, because Star Trek has already made the changing Klingon makeup part of the continuity, and however yeah. badly they've done it, they have explained it in story, and then this is like, we're changing it again for no reason. Yeah, I am, um, like I said, I'm not totally, I don't hate it, I just there, there are elements of it. There are certain things about it that remind me of the reptilians from Disc- uh, yeah. from Enterprise, which also bugs me. But yeah. on the whole, I can accept it. It's fine. Like, I, I, as as I want to kind of point out here, like this is to the J.J. Abraham Star Treks what the next generation was to the motion picture Star Treks. Yeah. So obviously, the motion picture Star Trek completely changed what the Klingons look like. Obviously, in the original series, they had smooth foreheads kind of racist design and um then we got to the, the motion picture and somebody was probably like we should probably make these look like aliens and we got a bit of cash and they made the Klingons that we know from enterprise tng etc and then obviously by the time that this series came around it because i mean they they kind of went out of their way didn't they to say oh this is actually part of the prime timeline it's not part of the jj yeah. abraham's kelvin universe but it did borrow heavily on the like the visual designs yeah. of that universe, yeah. Yeah. Fucking Star Trek fans, man. It looked like Goldar from Power Rangers. That was the only thought I had. <laughs> <laughs> it did look oh. like Goldar from Power Rangers. Oh, Goldar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, greetings, Green Ranger. Or should I just call you Tommy? How does it feel to be stripped of your powers forever? Did either of you watch the new Power Rangers film where they literally made Goldar a giant golden bird man? Like, he was just solid gold. Oh, yeah, I saw clips of that. It I didn't quite realise that was meant to be Goldar because yeah, that, that that's was not Goldar. Film. That was a bad film. And, and this is it. This is exactly what we're talking about. This isn't Goldar. <laughs> I, that's, that was fine. They look like, they look like an, an interpretation of Klingons. I didn't have a problem yeah. with it. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. Like, it's I, I, I don't necessarily. I'm not mad that they changed it. I just think that some of it looked a bit crap. That's all. Like, so most of it looked pretty good. Some of it was a bit crap. They just, they just don't feel at all like Klingons to me. But you know, <laughs> you're going to find Discovery and Modern Trek course corrects a lot, Elliot. So yeah, don't get attached to these guys, maybe. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. This uh, this head Klingon guy is sort of speaking about how Klingons are shit now, and Kayless said they should follow a path. He talks about prophecies and beacons and reuniting all the houses, and then he says, and we have an enemy, and the enemy says, and now he switches to English, we come in peace. And he forgot the second bit. Shoot to kill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... the um... My kind of interpretation of this is these are the um, the televangelist uh, Klingons. <laughs> yeah. So if you look at televangelists, they do not look like us. Um, they look different. So that that's how I'm getting around this. They are like su- super religious Klingons, and as a result of it, look weird. <laughs> yeah. And then we cut from there to a desert planet where we have Captain Philippa Giorgio, played by Michelle Yeoh, and her first officer, Commander Michael Burnham, 
played by Sonequa Martin-Green, uh, both of whom we've met in the short treks. Yeah. Uh, and they're sort of trying to help uh, some kind of pre-warp bug civilization that Memory Alpha calls me is taught, called the... Uh, crepusculans. Crepusculans, yeah. <laughs> Why are they called that? Like that, it Doesn't crepusculan just mean twilight? It means like animals that kind of live, like a cat, you know, lives in sort yeah. of... Yeah. I, I, I just give them any other name. Like somebody put a placeholder in there and then they passed it to a script editor who didn't realize it wasn't already a real word and it just went through. <laughs> I did like the aliens, the sort of bug yeah. guys, and and they were quite cool. But yeah, Giorgio and Burnham are trying to fix a well for them <laughs> so that they don't have a drought of eighty nine years because that one well that'll stop it. Yes, weird. And they fix it by shooting it. Shoot to kill. Yeah. Well, they just shoot to fix the well. That's a specific setting on a phaser. Oh. Are, yeah, killing the 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 bedrock underneath the surface, <laughs> and then. They then are like, right, we've done that. Let's let's beam up to our ship, the Shenzhou. But they can't because there's a big old storm over them. So they go for a walk and make a Starfleet Delta with their footprints that's really big. And the ship sees it and flies down and transports them. This was fucking stupid. There, there are two yeah, thank you. things in in this. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll let you carry on a second. There are two things I just wanted to kind of talk about this, right? On one hand, You've got the fucking Shenzhou up here, and it's the best Starfleet ship that I've seen in years. It's so cool. Like, it's it's all, like, weird and sort of, you know, it looks like kind of like the Enterprise design, but they've also kind of updated it. Obviously, it's too big, and, and all the, again, all the weird kind of criticisms of Discovery, everything is massive, but it's cool, and it comes down, it's cool. And then on the other hand, you've got this fucking warp delta on the ground, which makes no sense, and look, it's really corny. Yeah, it's like, they, sh- they can see this, like, what, through the storm cloud? They can't yeah. detect you. How are they going to see your pretty little sand drawing? A line. <laughs> a brown line on a brown background. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I didn't like that bit. The ship looked really cool. I, I don't know. I was I was just kind of in it. I wasn't having too many thoughts because I was in it. It was <laughs> nice, to, nice, to, nice to be able to just kind of watch a show and not have too many you know, surface thoughts popping up, going this and that and that. Yeah, the the pickup because of the symbol in the sand was fucking stupid. Did she have any kind of device that was like letting her, like a compass that she would be like, I okay, now I, need to turn, now I need to they, turn. They had a tricorder, didn't like, they? So I assume they were using oh, that. Oh, yeah. They've got like okay. Strava on it. So like instead of like drawing a dick or <laughs> a city lot. Fucking stupid. With how windy it was on that desert, <laughs> by the time they got back to the start of their tracks, they would have been completely gone. It would have gone. <laughs> don't worry michael i've got poo in my shoe like come on (laughs) it was just so they could say look we've done the starfleet symbol so this is star trek honest yeah honestly that that felt a little bit weak that felt like shoehorning in the star trek symbol as a cinematic opening thing but it was still all right I will agree with you, Elliot. I was I was taken in this moment, and I was thinking about you as well. And I thought I bet Elliot is kind of like going through this as opposed to just like hovering over it with like rage in his eyes, like he would if this was Enterprise. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I was in it, and you know, there were, obviously I had a couple of like little bitty things pop up. I yeah. kind of let myself go through that before I thought about those. <laughs> yeah. So then we get the opening credits and the theme tune. I do. I love the theme tune, and I really like the design they do for the opening titles. I'll admit, when it when it first came out, the theme tune took a while to grow on me, but now I do. I think it's a great theme tune. I think it's brilliant. 
am curious about Elliot's response to the theme tune as well. It's probably the best theme tune I've heard so far, like quite to easily. To be fair, it's this or Faith in the Heart, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, yeah, but I'm talking of like, because I've heard the next-gen theme tune. I've heard the original this, mm. um, original Star Trek theme tune now as well. Like, uh, this is... It's clearly extremely modernized and trying to be more dramatic than original Star Trek, but that's kind of my jam. That's kind of why I, I love cinematic music and I love mm. orchestral music and uh, well-composed melodic stuff is is really effective on me. And this is essentially what this is, is extremely well-composed uh, orchestral yeah. melodic stuff infused with a little bit of that original Star Trek DNA yeah. in the chords and the melody just kind of comes in every yeah. now and then. Um, and I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. I love this theme tune and I loved it from the start as well. It was actually one of um, the, like the, the things that kind of kind of kept me into discovery. I really, really loved it. And it's up there for me. It's one of my favorite Star Trek themes. Like famously, I think that the Deep Space Nine theme song uh, sounds like the Emmerdale Farm uh, uh, theme song, which uh, British viewers might know about. It's not my favorite. I do really like the Voyager theme and a couple of others as mm. well. But yeah, that... That discovery one really, really is cool. My only kind of, it's not really a complaint, but they very obviously watched the Expanse opening yes. credits and they've kind of gone, we want something a bit like that. <laughs> and <laughs> it's great for it, you know. I, I'll, I'll give them that. No, it does work. It's just about the only Star Trek show as well, which isn't just the, the, the ship flying around. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got the ship flying there, but it's the animation and it flies past. Like I love when they do the breakdown of the phaser and the communicator and they're proper yeah. old school original series phaser and communicators absolutely yeah, yeah. It's, this was very i mean when did this come out 2017 or 2019 2017, yeah yeah 2017 yeah you can tell that this this was like you know prime netflix time when this came out because yeah the visuals in this intro are gorgeous like hmm. as well as the music being really good yeah so we end the credits and we get a first officer's log from commander michael burnham telling us that the Shenzhou has now gone to repair a subspace relay station thing that is in a binary star system that has been damaged. And they're like, but was it deliberately damaged? Let's find out. And we're told that it is May the 11th, 2256. So that is just over 101 years after the last episode of Enterprise we watched. Okay. Is that four years or two years before... The original series, is it? Ten. I think oh, the original series is right, 2266, okay. I think, the original series. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, and they, they introduce Saru as well, who is one of my favorite uh, Star Trek characters. Yeah, uh, I love Saru. Yeah. Is that Doug Jones? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, he's the science officer on the Shenzhou. And I like the... He and, and Burnham have a little bit of conversation on, on the bridge where they think maybe it was intentionally damaged, but there's there's a little bit of friction there. Quite, They almost tried to set up like a Spock Bones thing with Burnham mm. and Saru at this point, which I did quite enjoy. Yeah, that logic versus emotion response. Yeah. And I love the subversion of the emotional response as well in, in Saru in that he's just, you know, essentially a, a, a biologically cast coward. <laughs> yeah. So... Burnham goes to tell Captain Giorgio that what Saru has found, and she says that she agrees with him. And Giorgio's like, "Why you agree with Saru? You never agree with Saru." He's a dork. Gets one of the ensigns to log the dates, doesn't she? 
This this whole scene, this kind of pre her going into the the asteroid field thing set up, I think, is meant to kind of set us up with a gold standard for Starfleet fannying around. Like, yes, it's this is exactly what we this is what next this is next generation level of pedantry going on here, where everybody's like chin stroking and <laughs> launching probes. In fact. That was another one of my points. Why didn't they just launch a probe? It would have been easier. Because I would have assumed it would have got scrambled. Possibly, yeah. I mean, just put a probe that would flip over after 90 <laughs> minutes to go back. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the other thing that always bugs me about these kind of shows is that they can never just go have something like, yeah, we'll just put a put a Raspberry Pi in it and then it'll have a command to flip it around and send it back. Like, put a probe on a big stick. Yeah, for a rope over there. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe take a shuttle. Yeah, exactly. Mm. One of my notes is, what's the? There's got to be something between a spacesuit and a shuttle that they could go out there in. <laughs> no, to be fair, they do say they say it's been damaged, and they detect like some weird anomaly thing that they need to go investigate. They do say the debris is too dense for a shuttle pod, and they can't use the transporter because of interference. So, Vern was like, I could just put on a spacesuit with some thrusters on it and Iron Man this shit. And George was like, Hey, you should take Saru. And she's like, I don't want to take Saru. I don't want to put him in danger. And Saru says, yeah, I don't want to be put in danger either. So I'll stay here. Fair. Why did she suggest that? Did she not realize? Like, Saru's obviously going to be like, I don't want that. And Burnham was going to be like, no, I don't want that. There's this sort of a mentor thing with Giorgio and Saru. And I think she's trying to push him out of his comfort zone. But he's a difficult man to push out of his comfort zone at this point. I really like Saru. Obviously, it's Doug Jones. And I just bloody love Doug Jones. But he really feels... uh, not in a bad way, but he feels quite similar to his Abe Sapien character in that he's the intellect in the room, but obviously yeah. he's a bit more surly. Abe Sapien is very polite, and this character is obviously a bit more like, well, no, you're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm willing to bet that Abe Sapien is definitely an influence on uh, yeah. this character, probably even before they knew that like, you know, Doug Jones would play him. It's a very similar voice because his nose is also completely covered, so it's all, so it's all without any nasal inflection, the same as Abe <laughs> yeah. Sapien was. Because so, his nose yeah. is always covered up in the in the prosthetics. Yeah, <laughs> never get to see Doug Jones's real nose on screen in anything. Uh, there's one thing he did where his face is showing. It's, it's, it's I'll have to find it later. It's some weird clip online of him as a weird long legged man, but he's got nothing on his face. Oh, that is the Paul Bettany film Legion. It is terrible. Oh, okay. There you go. Doesn't um, Saru turn into a human in one episode of Discovery? Oh, yes, he does. Yeah, he does. There's I was trying to remember. They all change race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds it sounds more problematic than it actually is, Ellie. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, season like season three, I think. It's not like that episode of It's Always Sunny. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I get it mixed up in my head. I get him mixed up with the guy who plays Isaac from the Orville, because obviously there's a subplot in that where he gets to look like a human as well. And they do look kind of similar, don't they? Actually, yeah, yeah. Out, they have like out a, of costume. A thing, yeah. But yeah, Michael is told that she can only be out there for 20 minutes because of radiation. So she's got to get back to the ship in 19 minutes. So she does it. She uses her thruster pack to travel to the anomaly and she finds a big thing that she starts walking on. And she's like, oh, it's like carved and it's got these bits and it's all very interesting. And then another person appears on there. And it's a Klingon in a big spacesuit. And it attacks her with the Batleth. And she... 
she activates her thrusters and manages to sort of fly at the Klingon, forcing its own sword through his body. So he's an idiot Klingon and shoves him away yeah. from the, the platform. Like, I know the televangelist, but why didn't he take a fucking disruptor instead of a sword? Like, why didn't he attack her while he had the element of surprise? Klingons oh, don't he's do a that. Klingon, isn't he? Some things, the more they change, the more they stay the same. It's, it's still, these are still very much ah, but honor Klingons. Well, what the fuck is honorable about the fact that you have a weapon as she don't, dickhead? Okay, Elliot, you have successfully deconstructed the Klingon race. <laughs> <laughs> we can all go home. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the Burnham's sort of floating away from the thing and the Shenzhou can't contact her. And then we go back inside the Klingon chamber where they've got the body of this guy back in. And his name is Rejak, which really confused me because that is the name of another major Star Trek character from the original series. So I was like, hang on, nope, not connected. Okay. Do you reckon he was just called Reg for short? Yeah, Reg the Klingon. <laughs> and then they put him in a sarcophagus, and the sarcophagus sort of floats out the room. And at this point, I thought, are these Klingons in Dune? This is very <laughs> Dune. It did. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> and it just sort of goes and sits on the outside of their ship. Yeah. And, and, it's worth mentioning, even though I don't particularly care about it, but it has previously been stated that Klingons don't give a shit about their dead. No. Like, corpses just sling it out, put it in the bin. Yeah, I think it's once the uh, once the spirit has left the body, they're like, yeah, whatever, this is just an empty shell now. So then Michael is in, like, a, a chamber in sick bay on the Shenzhou, and she's being treated, and she's unconscious, and she has a dream about her childhood at a Vulcan learning centre, where... A Vulcan computer asks her questions, a very Vulcan test that has been used before. I think Abrams, Star Trek, and the original series movies did a similar thing. And it's like, oh, hey, I'm going to ask you about this Klingon Vulcan, uh, this, this Klingon attack on a human Vulcan base. And she gets all sad about it. And then Sarek arrives and says, hey, you should be logical, not emotional. He does, yeah. It felt like a Void Camp test as well. I felt like it was mm. going to ask her if she was walking through the desert and she saw a turtle lying upon its back. <laughs> Body baking in the hot sun. What would she do, Elliot? You're gonna you're gonna ask me if I recognise this guy, aren't you? I was gonna say, do you know who Sarek is? Not necessarily. Do you recognise the actor because oh. he's played by a different actor here? But oh, Sarek. Yeah. No. Was he the uh, was he the one that Archer spoke to in dreams? No, in that flashbacks? was Surak. Very Surak. close. <laughs> yeah. Good guess. Okay. Sarek is Spock's dad. Oh shit! All right. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Yep. Spock came out of Sarek's willy. <laughs> Logical. Yeah, I just wanted to make it more uncomfortable for everybody. And then sugar a... puffs went. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to move away from it. <laughs> I think I did make reference to it in the last episode, anyway. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Michael has. Spent some time on Vulcan and apparently knows Sarek. So then she she wakes up and she's still all wounded, but she just walks out and there's a doctor there who's like, oh, uh, oh, oh, as Michael just leaves. (laughs) (laughs) She walks to the bridge in in a hospital gown and she says, it was a Klingon. And Saru's like, no, it wasn't a Klingon. No one's seen them since Enterprise ended. (laughs) Nobody liked that. (laughs) (laughs) And then Saru says, you're concussed. And Michael says, it's definitely Klingons. 
And Giorgio, to be fair, goes, okay, fine. Let's go to red alert. And they lock weapons on the Klingon ship, and the Klingon ship decloaks in front of them. And it was big. It was big. It was big. What do you think of the Klingon ship, Matt? I mean, <laughs> like, I, I am not against the Klingons changing, uh, the, mm. the, not the Klingons, but obviously the creators changing the design language of the Klingon ships to kind of make them scary and weird. I just don't like any of the designs. I think they're too fussy. Um, yeah, they I know look, what you mean. They look like Warhammer, Edgelordy kind of ships, you know, that... Like like Warhammer makes a ship and and then they're like oh there's this is our frigate and it's like twelve miles long it's got thousands of guns and it shoots souls out of the fucking cannons and you're like all right okay and I feel that about these ships they just seem like over designed there's a couple of them which are actually quite good and then later on in the series they randomly show a D seven don't they one of the original series Klingon battleships and you think think like what was all this for then yeah like have a have a big religious Klingon ship by all means. Like have a big sort of the sarcophagus ship, but just use the you know, variants of the designs. Like you know, the JJ um, Abrams uh, uh, series of films. Like they took some pretty cool Klingon things in that, like that little Klingon sort of fighter that they had in it. Mm. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good designs hanging around, and they just kind of yeah brought in these like rando sort of. Do you, they remind me a bit of when um, in like the nineties, like Micro Machines made a space range, and they did Star Wars ships, they did Star Trek ships, and they made their own as well. And the ones that they made themselves were just kind of like, oh, this one looks like a bug, like this one looks like a <laughs> cylinder. They're all just a bit rubbish, and that's how I feel about these ships. They were just a bit kind of overwrought but generic. Yeah, yeah. I think there was with certainly with the first season of Discovery. There are things visually that they do very well, and then there are other things where they're they they. I think there's a feeling that they move too far away from Star Trek, and they yeah. kind of then try to me move it back with the second season to a degree yeah, with a lot of yeah. this stuff. Now, yeah. obviously, they're not going to make the same like the bridge of the Enterprise when you do see that later on. It looks like the bridge we saw in the cage, but if it was made today. Yeah. Whereas season one of Discovery is kind of like, let's just ignore everything and we'll do what yeah. we want to do with the visuals. Yeah. We've got Dune in there. We've got the Urukai in there yeah. already. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like I said, I'm not against them changing the design aesthetic for, for them. I just kind of thought the ships were a little bit lazy, a little bit yeah, generic. I, I, I don't dislike them, but I don't have a particular fondness for them either. Yeah. I thought it was sick. <laughs> it was fucking. What the fuck is that? They're, they're the war species. What's the problem with their ship being like, yeah, we designed this solely to kill you and nothing else. That's what they would do. Like, I mean, I would agree with you if they looked like they were designed solely to kill you, but they weren't. They just kind of looked like they were like cathedral windows flying through space. Like, some of them. like I, there's one design in there, kind of, I think one of the bigger ships that they kind of bring in at the end, which looks kind of cool, which I don't mind. But yeah, the rest of them, like I said. There's this weird Elizabethan feel that I find like a bit of an odd choice. (laughs) You talking about the interior or the exterior? Both. Both. Okay, well, I don't care about the interior too much, but from the exterior, it just looked like a pretty classic warship in space to me. Didn't? Yeah, and again, this I think this is like my kind of problem with it is it it just like it looks like something from looks like something generic from something else. Like it looks like something from Warhammer, um, from uh, 40k, or it looks like something from mm-hmm. like 
a cartoon or something that just sort of maybe doesn't kind of think too much about what their ships are going to look like. It doesn't appeal to a Star Trek nerd, basically. <laughs> no, it doesn't appeal to a Starship aficionado, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. This is all very interesting. We'll talk more about this at the end, I think. So the <laughs> um, the Shenzhou is trying to hail the Klingons and and saying, hey, we, we'd like to talk to you, but the Klingons are ignoring them. And on the main Klingon ship, there's now another really slow, ponderous conversation about prophecy and lighting the beacon. And look, Rejak's dead, but his brother's here. He can be the beacon instead. And Rejak's brother is all like, but I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Then another Klingon who's got white skin and who's apparently felt a lot of prejudice in Klingon culture for that, named Vok. He's all like, hey, I can I can light the beacon. And they go, all right. Now, this is slightly contentious, I feel, because there is a whole subgenre of bad stuff whereby albino characters are portrayed as evil. You know, like the film Powder, or the uh, the albino from Deep Space Nine, who was like yes. a rogue bad Klingon. I kind of thought that by what twenty twenty seventeen this came out, yeah, yeah, we would be like over this trope. But no, no, they they stuck with it. Like he could have been any color; he could have been a blue Klingon or something. But I mean, not that it kind of makes it any less sort of weird. The general idea is that you know because he's different. He's like that hunchback guy from the. Um, uh, the what's it called the the three hundred film the Sparta film you know oh yeah 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 this this I mean that's probably a bad terminology to use as well actually but anyway <laughs> that's besides like the point that they they're um uh sort of yeah this guy's different so yeah he's he's like the you know we we don't accept him I think yeah I get it it's Klingon society and it's going to be like that but I just thought that that was a, a little bit sort of awkward it reminded me of the pale orc from the Hobbit oh, yeah yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, it's generic. I kind of expect generic plot threads to be thrown in here and there when they're going to have such interconnectivity between such different things. Like, it's 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 not as common as the ones that were as thrown around in Enterprise where they were purely relying on generic yeah. tropes and plot threads and Do nothing you know what, else. What would have actually been really nice if it was a Klingon that had really black, like bad flatulence? And it's just like... <laughs> And they're like, oh, you, we can't have you like the beacon. That'd be awful. You're just really embarrassing. So it's like, I'm really sorry. I would have liked it if they acknowledged Enterprise and made him an augment Klingon. Yeah, yeah, flat-headed Klingon. Yeah, yeah. You can't light the beacon. You are not lumpy. Yeah, I, actually, that's that, that's a much better uh, comparison. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but then that still, that would kind cool. of ruin stuff that happens later in the season, though. Yeah. So. Back on the Shenzhou, uh, Saru has done a scan of the ship and he's like, I think they've covered it in coffins and dead bodies. And Burnham goes, yeah, that's what they've done. So she goes to tell Captain Giorgio, who's talking to Admiral Anderson using a hologram communicator, which is all cool. And he's there in the room, but he's a hologram. And then by next year, they'll forget they have them. And when they reintroduce (laughs) them on Deep Space Nine, they'll be cutting edge technology. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know, isn't there like a whole like plot point where um, Captain Pike has them removed from the Enterprise in either Discovery or Strange New Worlds. And then that's why they don't have them in the original series. (laughs) 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 Like, they'll go, they wait to explain that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, the the Admiral doesn't seem to like Burnham because he's like, oh yeah, you went and went and flew out to that that ship. That was, and killed the Klingon. What'd you do that for? No, I don't like you. You wait here and we'll send backup. 
So they go back to the bridge and Starfleet sending more ships. And Saru says, we could just run away. <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree with him. <laughs> well, yeah, but as Georgia points out, there's there's another Starfleet base nearby. There's an Andorian colony. And we're basically the only line of defense between them and the Klingons. Just go there or go be- like jump to equal distance between them. And also, amazingly, this is in, for like the only time in Star Trek history, like help is only two hours away. Yeah. This was really stupid. It's like, where are, but where, there's like colonies and other entire forces just like over there. So we should stay here and defend them. And it's like, you're not going to do better than a colony of starships. Oh, no. I mean, the colonies in, 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 in Star Trek are notoriously poorly defended. They build these yeah. colonies in space and people move there and then. Like they get eaten by aliens or something. Yeah, it's, they they don't have many thing. starships for the actual colonies. They keep on having to send actual Starfleet vessels for supply runs and things. Space is big, man. Pretty big. But then while they're talking, the Klingon ship like does a big white pulse and there's a lot of noise in the ship <laughs> and then Solar Flare. And the crew get all uncomfortable. But then Captain Giorgio cleverly yeah. says, We'll mute it. They mute the solar flare. Yeah, and Saru mutes it, and they're like, I still hear it. And I quite like this, but he's like, oh, yeah, that's just it reverberating through the ship and natural ship noises of this thing. Just ignore it. Yeah. And then Michael says, can I leave now? And Georgia says, no. And Michael says, it is relevant. And Georgia says, fine, go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a pass. <laughs> so Michael goes to her quarters and phones Sarek. And says to him, so Vulcans and Klingons have sort of, they're fine at the moment. They're not killing each other. How how did you do that? And Sarek's like, well, okay, so one, are you feeling emotional because Klingons killed your parents? And two, what works for Vulcans might not work for humans. Don't forget to be logical now. And she's like, no, no, no I'm going to be logical. It's all good. Because it sounds like you're not going to be, I, I'm not lying. It sounds like you're not going to be logical. It's like, no, I am. I am, I am. What'd you do? What'd you do? <laughs> So Michael runs back to the bridge and says to Captain Giorgio, we should shoot them. (laughs) She's like, no. Yeah, no. We don't shoot first. We don't murder people. We're Starfleet. Rolls up a newspaper and is like, no, no. (laughs) And I'll spend eight years of my life in Starfleet school and then work myself, work my way up through the ranks of Starfleet. To be in charge of a Starfleet ship, you just go around shooting people, okay? <laughs> Bad. <laughs> 240 years ago, near Hatoria, a Vulcan ship crossed into Klingon space. The Klingons attacked immediately. They destroyed the vessel. Vulcans don't make the same mistake twice. From then on, until formal relations were established, whenever the Vulcans crossed paths with Klingons, the Vulcans fired first. They said hello in a language the Klingons understood. Violence brought respect. Respect brought peace. Captain, we have to give the Klingons a Vulcan hello. If their intention is to attack, falling up our fists won't dissuade them. It would be logical for you to take into account my success rate during our seven years together and execute my plan without further challenge before we're dragged into war. Starfleet doesn't fire first. (laughs) Michael keeps going, no, no. We really should shoot them. And she's quite mean about it. So Georgia says, right, come to my ready room. And she says, right, you are being insubordinate now, Michael. And Michael's like, ah, 
I'm real sorry. I won't do it again. Ah, Vulcan Nerve Pinch! <laughs> Nobody expects the Vulcan Nerve Pinch. I didn't think humans could do the Vulcan Nerve Pinch. Because I thought it was about strength as well as where you put the hand. No, she was half I'm... Vulcan. No, no, she's, she's not. not. She's totally no. human, but she was just raised by Vulcans. Oh, yeah. that's unfair. She must have yeah. fucking hated that. <laughs> like a little French boy that lives in my house. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Quiet, dear. <laughs> yeah, so she runs out and says, uh, Captain George has told me we can shoot the Klingons now. <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone's like, mm, it doesn't seem like what was going on just earlier on. <laughs> Where's the captain? She's oh, she's to talking to Starfleet. Saru's <laughs> <laughs> so like, I um, I don't think, I don't think we want to do this. And as Michael's saying, you leave the bridge. You're being insubordinate now, Saru. And then Georgia walks back in with a phaser that she just points at Michael. <laughs> yeah, this this was. I mean, there's a whole debate to be had about whether Michael was not was right or not. But I feel that this method was absolutely not right. No, no. And then we get a load more Klingon ships arrive and they're hugely outnumbered and the episode ends. Yeah, I think taking your main character and making them do something really stupid like this at the end of your first episode isn't maybe the best move. It's a weird choice. I'm not against it, though. I don't know. Seems like it pretty much makes sense to me. She's given an incredibly difficult life or death decision to make that's also being affected by childhood trauma, presumably. So it's... I can see how she would be making questionable decisions. It's the knocking her captain out bit that... Yeah, there's... Mm. I guess... she, if she, she, It's life or death. If she thinks, well, you're going to kill us, I have to do this to keep not just everyone else, but you as well alive, then I'm going to do it because I think I'm right. Yeah, it, it, I think if we looked at like certain other fictional militaries, like the colonial military of Battlestar Galactica or something, then we might have more of a kind of a reason for this. But because it's Starfleet, it feels kind of weird. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's you get me saying. And I, Starfleet has less individualism. Like Starfleet is like kind of consensus based. I think that you know everybody goes into a meeting room and they come up with a decision. Like the whole like the Federation's a weird concept and. It always seems like it's weak, like it should fall apart at the first sign of struggle. But what what it has that other races don't have are two things. It has remarkably well-adjusted people in it, and it has uh, a depth of science that nobody else can 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 match. So even if the Federation starts off on the back foot, you can guarantee they'll science their way out of it by the by the end. That's why they have those big dishes on the front. Nobody else seems to like go for those big deflector dishes like the Federation do is because they can science stuff out of them. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, like I said, I don't disagree with it. I think it's a really like, good ending in terms of shit. What the hell's going to happen here? We've never seen a Star Trek like this before. But yeah, it, I, and again, it's total shock value because we're not expecting this to happen. But would like this person do this in reality? Uh-huh, probably not. But still. I wasn't not expecting it. I wasn't expecting it to happen. But I wasn't not expecting anyone to ever question or go against a captain in Star Trek. Like, oh, you can absolutely go against a captain. Yeah, they question and go against them. It's the actual mutiny part of it, the violence on the captain, and yeah. trying to force oh. your opinion through like that. I would have been very... really disappointed if that had never happened in Star Trek. What? <laughs> Yeah, there've been a few mutinies for various different reasons, but like, yeah, this. I mean, 
and again, I I'm not like against this happening at all. I'm just saying like how it's sort of um, yeah, like, it is kind of a weird shock thing from like a Starfleet perspective because you know a lot of the other series is there's a lot clear more clear cut morally speaking at least. I can't at all see where you're coming from with that. I have no perspective of what that is. Well, I think I... the thing is, Giorgio isn't wrong. That's why there's shock value here. Because yeah. Michael is going off, yes, her parents were killed by Klingons, yes, she's got this Vulcan perspective on it, but at the same time, at that point, the Klingons haven't made any violent moves towards them. They tried to stab her. She invaded their ship. Yeah. They yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. But she's trying She's trying to establish communication. She's not saying to attack them to try and attack them. She's saying, she's trying yeah. to establish a communication. I get it. Look, we know this because we've seen the Saru phone call. But again, yeah. she doesn't... This is a really annoying thing. Doesn't explain that to anybody. In doesn't a relay way. that information yeah. that she's yeah, trying yeah. to communicate with an attack. It's like, we got to do this. We don't have time. But there is time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nobody's yeah. doing anything. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. So don't, don't get me wrong. This is a weird episode for me. There's stuff in it I do really like. I think brilliantly cast. I love Michelle Yeoh. Mm. I, I love Doug Jones. I love Sonequa mm. Martin-Green. I'm not fully on board with Burnham as a character at this point. I I know that I do love Burnham down the line. I grow to love her. But at this point, I think she's not quite there yet. Yeah. It is interesting having watched the rest of Discovery to date, going back to this point, seeing how these characters develop. Is this There's proper character development here that yeah. is rare for Star Trek. Yeah, oh, yeah. Ju- juicy. <laughs> yeah, and I really like the Shenzhou. I do also, though, think maybe, I don't know structurally how I feel about it, if starting here works or if, because we haven't seen the discovery at all. Yeah, the ship hasn't, hasn't yeah. appeared. <laughs> Should they have done this as flashbacks later on or what? I don't know, but it's it's a weird one for sure. So how do you feel about, and just to relate this back to the beginning of the podcast, for example, this could be mirrored with, uh, Scooby-Doo fans coming along and finding that somebody has turned that their popular character into oh, he's descended from interdimensional beings, what the fuck, he's not just the dog of some stoners anymore <laughs> like, how do you feel about Star Trek when it was get put into these new hands that were good, that you knew were younger that were going to start writing more younger and common, and, I mean you know... they weren't because Brian Fuller worked on Voyager so yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. okay, right <laughs> But there was going to be younger influence, right? <laughs> well, the my sort of my, my feelings on this was that this was nothing new at this point because we had two or three three JJ Abraham films at the moment. Yeah, uh, I think we've point. just had Beyond. Right. Okay. Right. So, what Discovery looked like to me when I first watched it was the opening five minutes of both of the first two films. So, funnily it was, enough, something I meant, I did notice in this uh, episode: a lot of lens flare. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, agreed. So, exactly. The design language is very much from those films. But I watched it and I was like, all right, okay, so there's a lot of changes. And I knew about the changes. Obviously, I'd read about stuff before I actually watched it. I did find a lot of the Klingon stuff kind of like weird and jarring, like I said, but I was up for it. I was up for like some changes, whatever, you know. But Mm -hmm. my big problem with the kind of overall plot, and again, it wasn't a bad plot by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. Like, we've seen some real dog shit from Enterprise. This is a cut above 
you know, pretty much everything that we've seen so far in Enterprise. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, all right, so this is basically the Kelvin battle and that weird bit at the opening of Star Trek Into Darkness where they rescue that alien race, like those weird, yeah, yeah. like, giant babies that, with big eyes that they With the volcano thing. The, yeah, yeah. For the, putting the cold, a cold fusion device in the volcano, which doesn't make any sense. But anyway, it was just like, all right, so they're just kind of rehashing that. So it didn't feel new to me at all. I, I love the, the the characters. I was really interested. I wanted to know where Michael Burnham was going. There's obviously some really interesting plot lines to come out of an insubordinate character like that. Like Doug Jones is such a great um, sort of new kind of alien. Like I know it's still like a bipedal guy, but just the the prosthetics. Like you didn't really, you hadn't really had like a character like that front and center uh, on on a show uh, on a Star Trek show so far. And um, which I always amazing, you know, like I think she's great. So there was a lot to, I was optimistic about a lot of it, but at the same time, it's like, ah, yeah, they've, they're kind of not really gone that far to, to, to make it different. They've just rehashed stuff from the movies. I think in terms of talking about the hands it was in as well, we knew at this point already that things were not good behind the scenes. Oh, there was a lot of, yeah, infighting, wasn't there? Yeah, there were, there were already news stories before Discovery came out that the, there were issues on the production team. Brian Fuller did not stay with the show for very long at all. By the end of the first season, he was gone. And he was sort of yeah. the key creative guy for these first episodes of it. And that was all out in public. Everybody knew about it. Yeah. So I, we didn't feel like it was in a safe pair of hands because they were all fighting. And we knew yeah. that. Yeah, I forgot about that stuff. Was it, so? Was, do you think Brian Fuller was a positive or a negative influence on the series? Or both. Do we know? I yeah, think both. Just- that some of the yeah. a lot of the big changes are him, but also I think trying to do the something a bit a bit different here and there, and, and... there's a couple of really deep cut references in there as well, um, mm-hmm. because there's a bit where um, Giorgio says uh, we tell him we've engaged the Klingons, uh, which is like a, definitely a direct reference to the, we've engaged the Borg from yes. the best of both worlds. And the, the the Klingon roar that they do and the your man dies like, to warn the afterlife. Yeah. Is that from Heart of Glory, like TNG episode Heart of Glory? Yeah. And then subsequent episodes, I'm sure. But yeah, there's this because it's obviously like somebody in there that really knows their stuff, and then there's somebody in there who really wants to kind of make their mark as well. Yeah. I liked it. This is yeah, this is yeah. what we said would happen, though, isn't it? That yep. yeah, because Elliot is divorced from everything else. You would enjoy Discovery more than we did. <laughs> yeah, now, he's divorced from everything. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I do like overall. I like Discovery. I do like the show, and I think it gets better for me. Season one is the weakest season of Discovery. Season two is my absolute favorite. So I'm really looking forward to that. But I, I I do think the start is a mixed bag for me. Yeah, it's all right. I've only seen um, I've only seen it once, and mm, probably same. not all, all of it very attentively because I kind of like watch through it, and I, sometimes I kind of my mind wanders. So I'm trying to approach this with as fresh a mind as possible. I'm trying to take like an Elliot perspective on it, and <laughs> if I'm just looking at this episode in a vacuum, I'm I'm still up for the show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I I am a little concerned. I hope it doesn't get too. I don't know what I hope it doesn't get to. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I just, I think, I don't know if it's just purely from watching so much Enterprise. There is a concern in the back of my head that 
something with the plot will happen where it gets boring. That might happen. <laughs> For everything I like about Discovery, it is of all the Star Trek shows, including Enterprise, in my opinion, the weakest in terms of pacing. Okay. Well, it's a very mixed bag. They take things that should be a scene in an episode, and because they they very much do serialized storytelling, each season is an arc. So things that in Next Generation would have been a scene in Discovery, it's an entire fucking episode. Yeah, it's it's that old criticism that I've said about time and time again on this podcast about non-enterprise based Star Trek is that if you are not good, if you're not known for creating good two-part episodes which star trek is not it should not make whole series series arcs because it largely fails except for deep space nine yeah the, the other thing i wanted to to add as well while we are here uh, <laughs> is i think that with discovery uh specifically that um we're in like uncharted territory here basically like this show has no connection to anything else which is very different to all of the other shows uh so like obviously we know where kind of tng is like that i guess that was probably the closest to this like i do will make comparisons between the two but once kind of tng is established which it is by the movie period then we know where deep space nine is we know where voyager is we even know where enterprise is this is kind of like it feels like a very different era but my my point here I'm kind of waffling is but one of the reasons why Enterprise is so alien to you and then I can read like blogs where people are saying so Enterprise like the, the last two series of Enterprise got good is we are out of that time so it's hard for us uh, to go back to the time of like Enterprise and feel the same kind of emotions that we were feeling at that time we can look back maybe at Star Trek that happens further in the past like the original series or even the ones from the 80s and 90s that's kind of more like an encapsulated time but this star trek is also kind of now i know it's you know about six or seven years old maybe older mm-hmm. than that but it, it's very much dealing with very modern feelings very modern political ideas very modern sort of cultural concepts as well we're going to look at sort of you know trans characters and stuff like that which weirdly star trek never done really well in the past no. um but yeah, I, I, I kind of that that's what I'm kind of hopeful about, and uh, this is what I'll get. I think we'll get a bit of strength uh, from this show in the podcast. Is that this is you know now and the issues of now. Yeah, just I just want a good TV show. <laughs> that's what you get a good TV show. I just want fun. <laughs> I just don't want boring and bad, please. Opposite of boring and bad, and I'll be happy. Well, do we want to say anything more about the Vulcan Hello? Yeah, it wasn't boring or bad. <laughs> cool right well our next episode has a much better title <laughs> the it, is called... <laughs> <laughs> it is called battle at the binary stars hmm. okay so peaceful negotiations don't work out well then <laughs> <laughs> it would be a really cool prog rock album i think yeah <laughs> awesome um I mean, it's the second part of this this story, isn't it? So, fighting. Klingons-ish. <laughs> yeah, so that, there we go. Our 100th episode, the start of Discovery. All our predictions came true. <laughs> yep. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have enjoyed our waffling. If you would like to find out more about 
things, us, what we do, stuff. We're all over the internet. We're all on social media in various places. Links to that in the description. We have individual presences as well as the show itself. You can also join our Patreon, where for as little as a pound a month, you get unedited video versions of the podcast. What? And then the money goes back into the show and helps make it that little bit better. I think we're saving up for a new microphone for Matt at the moment. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, or if you can't afford to make a monthly donation, you can make a one-time donation at our coffee. Uh, links in the description for both of those. Also, rate and review us. That also helps the podcast. So those are the things you can do. That's it, really. That's all you can do. Also, keep listening. Keep listening. Tell your friends. Yeah, if your friends like Star Trek, tell them to listen to us. And then, yeah, we will keep releasing episodes. We'll do another one. It'll be out very soon. Episode 101, Battle at the Binary Stars. Look forward to that. More discovery. Elliot's looking forward to it, aren't you, Elliot? What do you think? Should Scooby-Doo be an alien or not? <laughs> Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>